Welcome to Learning CDH, the podcast dedicated to teaching you everything you need to know about Competitive Commander. I'm your host, Matthew, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Eric. And today we're bringing you part two of a really popular segment that we did, which was our quarterly look at top performing decks in the format. So earlier this year, we looked at the first three months of tournament data using EDH top 16, and we talked about the top 10 performing decks, some decks that were doing uh, you know, a lot better than expected, some decks that were really underperforming versus the sort of popular opinion you might hear about them. Broke it down, going through exactly how decks are performing, and now we're at quarter the end of quarter two of, of the year, going into the cookout is kind of whatever is on everybody's mind, the next big in-person event. And we're gonna be breaking down April through June and the decks that have done really well, some of the decks that we talked about that we thought would keep doing well and maybe they didn't, or decks that were underperforming and now have popped back up. Going over some of the shakeups that have happened and who's the current uh, meta decks to look out for. First and foremost, again, EDH top 16, pretty much like revolutionized being able to like acquire data for CDH and actually like give you like non discord results on just being able to like look at everything with a like, you know, eyes and clouded by judgment. And if you know that line is from Princess Mononoke, which is a great film. It's it's a great tool. Again, shout out to the creators of that. I know Zane's worked really hard on it. They're very good about updating it with new tournaments and stuff like that. I think they do it like four o'clock or so, like on the days, but just check in the evenings, you know, after work, go home, grab you some dinner. Then you can look at all the sweet decks that did well over the weekend or even some of the ones that are coming in, you know, out of country that are just ran during the week. Yeah, definitely been just a huge thing. We've we'd already seen like the past year, where CDH is just getting more accessible. The the information is just not as spread out all over the place. And then having this resource to be able to just look at and say like, you know, oh, I think, uh, you know, Najila is the best deck. And then, okay, well, let's look at it. Let's let's see what, what does that mean? Let's look at the numbers. Do the numbers line up with that? And this is a good point to remind everyone that like, again, these are just players taking decks into events. They don't necessarily mean that this is the objective best list ever or that decks that aren't performing well have no shot and aren't real decks and aren't good. There's a lot of other factors that go into how a deck performs. If everybody builds a deck a certain way for a while and it doesn't do well, that doesn't mean that the commander doesn't have anything going for them. We've seen that, especially recently with like Mardu list and like Anala that's been retooled, that decks could just really shift. That doesn't come from the stats just changing and people just ramming their head into the deck and playing it over and over just to prove that it still works, but actually going in, retooling it, coming in with a new mindset and being like, you know what? This isn't working. We know that because the stats are (laughs) really, really bad. What do we need to do? How do we address the meta? And again, when you can actually look and say like, okay, these are the top 10 decks to beat, it makes it a lot easier to say like, well, I need to have a plan for X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and some of these decks are going to fall victim to new sets coming out and just people wanting to try new commanders, but that always typically can lead to, I mean, look at Tivit. That's a great example. You know, we'll dive into Tivit, you know, towards the later part of the video because I'll kind of give you an idea of where it's at. But people tried Tivit. It had really good success behind it. It had some really smart people working on it, and it just kept producing results. We're going to take a look at that. We're also going to talk about, again, some noticeable changes. Whether that's an archetype or a color combination that's really up and coming, or we see like a major drop off. And I think that correlates a little bit into like the latest release of the Lord of the Rings set as well. 
Yeah, that's the other sort of big shift that's happened. We're only seeing the first few results come post Lord of the Rings. Not a set that had like a million cards that everybody's rushing to play, but it has a couple cards that every single deck that can fit them is trying to jam them in either as just like this is going in here forever or especially a lot of testing with cards like the One Ring. I think a lot of people at first were just like, oh, four mana, draw one, lol. (laughs) But it's definitely way more to that card than that. Bowmasters, of course, being like the big card everyone was talking about. Uh, and we're seeing some of the first events get to actually use these cards. And I wouldn't say we have definitive data on the performance of these cards yet. And in general, we still have great data on like cards, how cards impact deck performances. We're, I think we're still approaching that. But we will see sort of some of the meta shakeups that happen when you throw a new card like Bowmasters into every single black deck. You know, what does that affect? And, and we're, we're seeing at least a little bit of the impact of something like that. And CDH is such a, as a whole, such a large format. Like there's combinations of cards that, you know, as we've seen the research of a deck like Tyam, Tyam's been around for a long time. And mm. it's just now like really it's hitting its stride. It's peaking. It's exactly where it needs to be. It, you know, gets a, even a good tool like an Orcish Bowmaster that is a win con and just a really good piece on its own. And as they keep printing these magic sets, you're going to see that. You're going to see those shifts. So there might be a, an old dusty commander laying around that gets a new tool that it all it does is take the right people to take a look at it, devote a little bit of time to it, and then it just happens to be a nice coherent strategy. So again, like Matthew said, I wouldn't necessarily write off any of these decks. And I would also do your own research, do a little bit of deep diving, look at the tournaments that were maybe right under 64 people because that's the we're utilizing uh, at least 64 plus events but look at the tournaments that are in the 40s maybe the 50s somewhere in there and then you you can see potentially like there might be decks that are performing really well that are still four rounds and that type of stuff so i I would just take a look at that do a little bit deep diving in the data you can find some gold nuggets in there so before we get into it like to um thank all my patrons over on patreon all the support that I get over there very directly funds cool things that I get to do. Um, that also applies with the merch. You can get that over at Spring. Really cool designs. Corvold shirt, Najila shirt, Yuriko shirt. Maybe we'll get some Lord of the Rings type one ring Orcish Bowmaster shirt at some point. Let me know what you'd like to see going forward. I really enjoy getting to make designs. Yeah, I'm hoping to get to see some of them at uh, the cookout maybe. That'll be dope. Looking to do a new segment where we're going to take some of the questions that we get in the comments. Very often we get reached out to about specific rules things or uh, meta advice that we don't get to cover in like full episodes. And so we'd like to get to address some of those. So if you have any questions you'd like for us to address in an episode, comment down below if you're on YouTube or you can reach out to me on Twitter at Lamoris Cards. Just mention learning CDH and whatever you want us to answer. And we're going to pick some of those and we're going to start uh, answering some of those questions at the beginning of each episode so that we can touch on some smaller topics that people have some confusion on or that just don't make it into a full episode. So before we get into the top 10, we're going to talk about some decks that both underperformed were on this list previously when the last time we did a quarterly update and have just taken a dive off. Some of them just, you know, falling behind a little bit. Some of them uh, plummeted off the earth and cannot be found in a top 16. Save your life. And then we're also going to talk about some decks that have been doing well recently or have a lot of, you know, uh, hype behind them, but haven't quite made the list yet. So first, I think we will talk about one that was here last time that we even mentioned if it wasn't going to, you know, really adapt with the new metagame that it might not be here next time. And what do you know? It's not here anymore. 
And that deck is Bruce Thrasios. Commonly, it's Don Waker when you see it in events, but not always. But the partner pairing of Bruce Thrasios, previously with a really high conversion rate, a lot of people talked about it as like the safest deck to bring to an event. It's just a really consistent performer. And now we have seen it drop down to number 13 on the list with only a 15% conversion rate with 26 entries and four top 16 results. Again, I want to reiterate what we were talking about. Like we're going back from the last, we're going from April 1st, which was a Saturday. So till now to see like the new data on decks that are currently coming out and what people are currently playing. One thing that I see and people talk about, they do since like the site has been around. So they're relying on data from last year. Well, those decks from last year have no effect on currently what's going on because there's literally new cards that are being printed every three months or so that could be changing the format or people falling in and out of it. Like it'd be different if a deck had like an ultra high conversion rate and it was just highly performing and it was taking tournaments and then like that deck just disappeared. Mm. Like that's not really happening here. And that's the one thing is I don't like to rely on old data. Now, not to say that old data doesn't have its place or you can't do a deep dive on like certain things that were doing performing really well. Were there decks back then that were attacking the meta? You know, we're going to talk about Don Waker here. I almost say Don Waker's like not playable. I think it's a ultra strong deck, but the data currently just doesn't support that it's 26 entries since April 1st, kind of somewhere in the middle of the top 10 or so decks or whatever that are being played, but it's got a pretty low conversion rate. Now, I don't know why that is because I think the deck's quite good. It's a top 16 machine. You know, I know Comedian just recently played it and did really well with it. You know, clearly the deck's very good. Also great pilot. Why do you think that we're seeing a dip into that deck? Is it the lack of interest? Is it the all the new toys that are coming out? Is it a lot of people kind of jumping ship and playing more Tivit? What do you think? I think specifically with Don Waker, we even mentioned this. So many of the lists were like the exact same list that Ian made a year ago when we were looking at the last quarter and without a lot of experimentation. And we've even seen like Ian finally kind of shift a little bit, running cards like Derevi, cutting all of the um, cantrips. And yeah. And so I think it's important to note that even his more recent result is still a different list than like, I mean, I think Don Waker might be the most stock deck that was ever played in that court. Like, for, for like the last six months before this, because almost every single one was Ian's deck database list. It kind of unbelievable. You don't see that with a blue farm or almost any of these other decks with that much. Just we're all playing the same deck. Let's go. And again, probably having a really strong pilot who's championing that list probably leads toward that. So I, I think there's a little bit of I, I don't know the lack of experimentation or what, but a, a lot of the same list. So in that regard, I think people can get a little bored with it. I think the big draw to this list is it plays green. Like if you want to play green, you're probably going to a deck like this. And as we'll get into later, we actually see a lot of green lists versus last quarter. There wasn't that much green in the top 10. And now I don't want to spoil too much of it, but we have like Atraxas, a commander that's been printed recently. That is a sort of mid-range pile of green cards that really leans into what green does. There's another Thrasios list that makes this top 10 that we'll get to talk about, actually dethroning Don Waker here in similar colors. So I, I think there are 
options that have been more exciting to people that pull them in a direction more than like Dawn Waker necessarily does. Dawn Waker's a really like slow and steady kind of deck for the most part that kind of very reactive. I guess for in some regard, it's just not really cutting it. Maybe compared to some of these new decks, we talked about how decks are changing things up. There are decks here that just didn't exist last quarter, really, or we're still kind of coming into their own. Like I mentioned with the tracks and you talked about with Tivit, like those were decks that were becoming popular. Now they're decks that are these are the decks you see at tables. And so that really changes like the dynamic of your average pod in a top 16 if there's just three or four brand new decks that you can expect there every single tournament. I think specifically a deck that might actually be really preying on these kind of fair, slower green mid-range decks is Tyem, which we'll talk about because uh, it doesn't really care about your interaction. And that's like been a, a real strength of some of these like Thrasios piles is being able to just sit back, stop things from happening that are scary, get more cards than everybody else. But Tyem just doesn't care how many cards you have. It can just hold up things better than you because it can win an instant speed. And I think Thrasios decks, especially ones that aren't on Breach, have had difficulty just winning very explosively in general and it's, it's maybe a combination of a lot of these different things so i have a couple theories about when we get to time we'll talk about where what what time is but comedian knows like that deck inside it out like you know are you it's like the creator of don waker right mm. but the one thing that i've noticed is like i don't think his list is on grand abolisher and while i agree with his reasoning why like his version does not run grand abolisher that is one of the strongest draws to playing white like that is one of the most powerful cards in white. We talked about this before. There was like the Sultai Splash White Spirit Guide deck. Sacred Guide. Sorry, there we yeah, go. Yeah. Sacred Guide. Yeah. Where they were playing like Thrasios, Thrasios Timna with no white cards, except for Sacred Guide. Just to make your Thassa's Oracle that much better. And I just and I just riffed it on it. I was pretty hard on it. And I was just like, imagine playing white and not playing Esper Sentinel or Ranger Captain or Grand Abolisher. Mm. Or silence. Like, that's the point of playing those cards. That's like playing literally red in your deck and not running Dockside Extortionist. Yeah. Oh, wait, there is a deck already like that. And guess what? It's nowhere sniffing the top 10, 15, top 20. So yeah. you, you polyrog people. Like, <laughs> no. That's probably going to make Jesse mad. But I know because Jesse, Jesse from Spike Place plays polyrog. It's just one of those things of like, remember when we saw Goto do really well? And it yep. won that uh, Mox Masters event. Mm. And it was on the Time Walk effects and Underworld Breach. And that is not a traditionally a Breach list. But it said, hey, this card's super powerful. Maybe we should just be on it. And it's one of those backdoor window scenarios that happens to be really good for, for the list. So, yeah, I just think that that's kind of part of it. And I think players just like playing with like a card like Grand Abolisher. It's, it is literally easy mode. You know, having a card that just is hard to counter... It allows you to combo, and I get the whole point of like it a target if you just play it out. But at the same time, is this like I don't know that card's that card's pretty powerful. I don't think I'd play a white deck sleeving up without playing Grand Abolisher. Honestly, Bruce Thras still very good if if you're a competent pilot and you trust it and you've you kind of made the shifts like Comedian did. I I think you're still probably in a pretty favorable spot. I also think too the gig is up. This is gonna sound really, but I think the gig is up. I think there's the whole like oh i'm just the safe seaborne muse player don't worry about good old me and they're like playing like training grounds and they're just like churning through their deck just as fast as like a turbo deck is because that deck does just have an explosive draw pattern too like it can just do the cannon thing like out of nowhere yeah. you know so we especially saw people in the first quarter of this year like 
really having an issue with because this deck was just like it wasn't even just top 16 it was top fouring really consistently at the beginning of the year and people were just like is seedborn muse a problem in running events because it's just so prevalent and it's just making these games a slog and beyond that it's just like that that means the deck is getting to do its most powerful thing really often when people are having conversations like that we talk about that being the green ad nauseum and it's so good and it, it is when we talked about like sneaky mid-range players doing that kind of thing where it's just like don't worry about me i'm just gonna cast bruce pass leave you know holding up 15 counter spells, but when I get back to my turn, I get to use those 15 counter spells to protect this Neo form. What am I going to get? I'll probably a Seedborn mute. Like, so I, I definitely think, <laughs> yeah, I definitely think there is a bit of that where it's like a lot of times now, first counter spell war doesn't start over like an ad nauseum. It starts over like a Mystic Remora or a Mystic Study. Or nowadays, maybe even the One Ring. We'll see. And people are, are really aware that these kind of mid-range decks, they're, they might not be scary in the first two or two or three turns. It's pretty hard for these kind of decks to win like turn two fairly consistently, but they just take over the game. And once they get their thing online, they're way harder to beat than a lot of these other more proactive lists. Yeah, I would not be shocked if I do not see a Don Waker list in top 16 at the cookout just because I think a skilled pilot will be playing it. And then that player, not only is the deck very good, but also that player knows how to probably politic with the table. You know, unless people just make a concerted effort to go, you know what, we're just not going to let Seaborn Muse do their thing. But mm. I think Green's got a new like kind of enemy on their back for the slow yeah. girly thing. And mm. we'll get to we'll get to the sloth man himself later, the sloth, whatever. I don't know what's what it is. Like a nightmare wanna... beast. <laughs> Yeah. Next is one that we got a little wrong, and that is Rocco. This is a nihilist that we we talked about being like you know the future of stacks, being such a strong toolbox deck. We really saw it like really pop off last quarter, and wow, has it! Um, it has really fallen off. So Rocco, a top ten deck last quarter when we talked about it. We're now seeing a number forty. With one top 16 out of 24 entries, a 4% conversion rate. That is definitely not where you want to be. No, no bueno there. There's a couple reasons this might be the case. Again, when we get to attracts, we'll talk about there's like a new food chain deck in town that's probably just straight up better, at least at the food chain thing. Rocco decks we saw go from very explosive combo focused decks that are just trying to make a bunch of mana, get to use Rocco to get the other half of their A plus B and win quickly. And then we saw it become more of like a blood pod list where it's running a lot of stacks pieces and trying to tempo out. And it may be doing a little bit too much of of both now, where it's just trying to have its cake and eat its too, where it's like, yeah, I'm primarily a dockside combo deck and I also run collector roof. I think we need more focus on Rocco. And I also think, again, this is another deck where people were like, okay, this deck, I cannot trust it at all. Like this isn't just the stack stack. This is a stack stack that can, assuming it's not splashing a lot of sta- you know random stacks pieces, this can just win through its own stacks very easily. And I really have to respect this list and not let him get ahead. So with Rocco specifically, where we talked about there's the new food chain commander that's really kind of been taken over, but ultimately that Rocco is being pulled in all these different directions and the directions don't layer on top of each other very well. I know people love their term layers and all this other stuff, but they don't mesh well. Like if I'm going for a team or saber tooth dockside combo, I have a collector roof out, can't really go for it. And if I have to bounce my collector roof first, then play my docs, like it's too much mana. It's not consistent. And I think for food chain, like you get access to white, which is phenomenal, but the lack of black tutors for a food chain deck has been pretty prevalent, I think. And again, just a clean way to win the game. Like, attracts the decks while being food chain, 
still have A plus B and Thassa's Oracle Demonic Consultation and or Tainted Pack. So, mm-hmm. or, you know, you just food chain your deck away, play your Thassa's Oracle, you got it there as well. Ultimately, it just has an easier way to win. And I and I think Rocco, instead of looking at Rocco as like, hey, I've got all these Linvala-like cards, Elish Norns, and all this other stuff, I would try to look at it as what can we do to make this deck as fast as possible to do the thing? Okay, if that doesn't work, how do we win the game? So it needs at least like two lines to win that kind of both lean into what the commander can do. I think that there's a pretty cool list that I looked at that I've been looking at recently. I've just been kind of working on it a little bit. It doesn't run as many elves in the deck as you would think. It uses a three drop creature we talked about in a previous episode in Nyssa. And it cuts down on a lot of that because you'd be shocked of how many, quote, dorks you could be playing right now that don't inherently all have to be elves. Delighted Halfling does wonders for the deck, but that's not what this episode's about. If you're confident in something like Rocco, you got to be really on top of your P's and Q's, you know, and understanding like what's a tutor for with your Rocco. And again, if your deck falls victim to Dranath Magistrate and you don't have a way out of it, probably shouldn't be playing that deck. Run more removal. I, I can't really honestly like speak that enough. I think decks need to be running more removal, period. There's too many good creatures in the format. And I don't want to say it's a creature-based format, but the creatures that we play are so impactful on the game. Mm. You know, they like really not- warp things especially like this one here specifically your commander you have Dranith and then also opposition agent which is almost like better Dranith against you or it's like i can cast my rocco and then flash an op agent if you don't have an answer to that you're getting really screwed yeah you just got bodied rocco needs to needs to probably take a look at itself maybe take a step back look around maybe wait for some new tools look at if there's any really new tools that it's getting delighted halflings one i'd look in i would maybe look at nissa i maybe look at different ways to like win the game maybe like dip into your toes into some ashaya combos i think that's actually a unique strategy to play for that uh, specific list because you're already going to be on like some kind of like queer and ranger like wirewood symbiote style stuff anyways might as well take advantage of that Mm. but yeah Poor Rocco, you know, and to be fair, like out of stacks, it's still one of the higher stack, like stacks decks there is. Mm. And that's kind of the debate on what Rocco really is. Is it like a stacks deck? Is it a combo deck? Is it both? And I just think a, a nice, clean focus on what the deck can do versus, you know, just jamming a bunch of stuff into it. Because that's what I feel like it did. It just started just jamming like a bunch of things into the list. And it just became like this. It was like a legacy Zenith deck more than like a dedicated focused list trying to do any one thing yeah and if you're not running minsk and boo you know get it get it out of here (laughs) yeah if you're gonna be if you're gonna be like that you gotta run at least minsk and boo that that planeswalker slaps but yeah rocco sadly took a took a big drop and then one last big underperforming we wanted to talk about and this isn't a change really this is basically almost the exact same results as we had last quarter but this is a list that was like this time last year people were saying you know top five in the format top 10 in the format uh, and that's Winota joiner forces with 22 entries and a big old zero for top 16 conversions zero percent conversion rate on Winota. talk about a deck that people respect now this is a deck that everyone needed to be ready for because it was always present it was always scary if your games are all about value engines you weren't out valuing a Winota that got to attack every turn or you know got to trigger multiple times a turn and people just were fed up with it 
And I, I think it's just almost the opposite of Rocco, where it was too focused on its own commander and it, it was too focused on this one linear game plan and has really struggled when it gets respected. You know, if your Winota gets removed or countered twice, it's really hard to come back with like an eight mana or 10 mana commander when the deck is so heavily built around it with cards of like kind of questionable quality. And we're seeing that. You know, in in terms of consistent results, it's been really hard for it to come back from that. I think it suffers very similar to Rocco, as in like it's kind of falling victim to the the way the format's adapting mm-hmm. and the way the format's like speeding up, but not necessarily like in a velocity standpoint where like everything's just getting faster. I just think the format's evolving faster. And I'm gonna be honest with you, if I sat down at a table, I'm still 100% am going to respect the Winota player relative to what the pod's doing and everything. I would even argue that a deck like Winona actually made CDH better because it, what it do, it made everybody, what it do, (laughs) what it do. Oh, Lord. One thing that the deck did is it made everybody play more removal. As you can see, White's finally really kind of fully realizing that it has path and sorts of cloud Like, it's got really good removal. Soul Partition um, now. Yeah, Soul Partition. The White March is quite good yeah. as well. Right. Touch the Spirit Realm. And then, obviously, the Dehada deck's getting to play, um, what is the White White One enchantment that comes down and, like, phases everything uh, out? Out of time? Out of time? Yeah. yeah, out of time. Which is devastating to a deck like that yeah absolutely devastating to a deck like that but even in other decks decks playing you know anything from lightning bolt fatal push deadly rollick was already kind of an uptick in that actually real removal not just balance spells but actually real removal seeing quite a bit more play and that's that's i think a huge boon to the format because i think it actually keeps the format more honest against a lot of these creatures and then so i think having a commander that can survive removal is really important tivit yeah (laughs) (laughs) tivit's just quite good real just a real quick note on that deck because there's not really much to talk about other than it's not doing really well is i think if the deck without losing too much of its identity can like lean into just other higher efficient creatures like we talked about like white plume adventure i think that is a potential strategy that it could enhance and i just think if you just maybe looked at making the deck faster adding a little bit more resiliency to it to just having other ways to win the game outside of just a kiki jiki combo that's really hard to kind of like line up mm-hmm. maybe there's something there i'm not really sure i really don't want to dev- i'm not interested in devoting the time into it i just had more of a thought experiment but i would be i would be interested to see again i wouldn't be shocked if that deck some people get behind it they just go look at it from two frames back and go okay this is what the deck's really great this is what the deck struggles with. We're going to kind of meet in the middle. We're going to hedge our bets against these top decks, and then we'll go from there. And then that's it. And then problem solved. You see it. Maybe someone slaps a, like a lightning greaves on Winona, and it's just like, oh, well, we are, we actually are dead at this point now because yeah. you can't kill it. So yeah. maybe there's something there. I definitely wouldn't look at this data and be like, yes, it turns out the card Winona join our forces is weak. Like that is definitely not what I would get from this data at all. It's still to me for four mana, just one of the craziest things you could have in the command zone. It's just not lining up right now, either in the way it's been built, just not working now, or just like what it's actually facing against, respecting it too much and just making it up really hard. I definitely think with some changes, Winota could go crazy at some point again. And again, it still is a deck like you can't just hope that, you know, if everyone cuts their removal because, oh, there's no more Winota and then a Winota pops up, you still have to deal with it. You still have to respect that Winota there. 
So before we hop in the top 10, one thing I want to discuss is, you know what time it is. It's July. It's hot. It's Mardu summer. Everybody's been joking about Mardu summer. We've kind of mentioned that Mardu summer actually kind of started happening back in February. And it's a long, you know, the long winter, the long night. No, it's the long summer. Mardu's been putting up results since February, and not just here in the States, but in other countries as well. That's something that I think people are starting to come around to is just understanding like how good white really is and arguably to me, one of the best colors in the game, you know, like mm-hmm. legitimately one of the best colors. Like you, when we take a look at like at the top 10 whites prevalent in a lot of these decks, unless the deck is sans white and it's hyper-focused on a particular strategy, like i.e. Kennen that doesn't obviously have access to white. Uh, Lord, good thing it does. Oh, man. (laughs) But Mardu Summer, and it's coming in all, like, here in Tennessee, we have a place called, like, Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. You can buy in your local Kroger. Uh, It has lots of delicious flavors. Mardu is, like, the ice cream shop of CDH decks. You have Tim Najeska in a traditional, like, river-style Mad Farm. You have the Shiver Chernobyl-style list. You even have variations of Chernobyl, whether it's a Wargorger Dragon package or uh, the Gorgon's Wand. They're all typically on some kind of, like, Bolsa Citadel. Then you have the one that won uh, Mox Masters, where they were, like, Sands Ad Nauseam, focusing more on Pure in the Abyss. Actually, would like to reach out to Gary to see what they're going to do, see if the Bowmaster is going to kind of steer them away from Pure, or if they're just still, like, hey... I'm still going to play it kind of thing. So Timna Jessica, obviously there. Rog Timna is actually a list that won a tournament in Japan back in, I think, February. I, I I need to double check my dates. And I looked at that list. That list I thought was just really high quality cards. It was kind of doing a lot of the Dehada stuff, but a little bit more focus on Rog Rack, getting to play cards like Calling the Week and, you know, obviously like Deadly Rollick, those type of things. While it seems like there's been some like conversation of whether those two commanders belong, all I got to say is Rog Silas does not belong together. And yet that deck is still a deck. Still does it. Uh, yeah. So Rog Timna is just, again, I, I think it's an absolutely reasonable choice. It's very good. I think any of these Mardu decks, it's it's really hard to go wrong. Like you've got Timna Jessica, Timna Rog, Timna Dargo, Dihada, and Kalia. Like they all have similar cards, but each of the decks really play the strength of their commanders. And I don't think you can go wrong with any of these decks based on your play style. Like it, you literally have a salad bar of like options. Did I miss any of the Mardu decks? I, I felt like that covered them all. It's like, Four or five. Like, that's pretty yeah, absurd. I think that's, that's most of them. Yeah, it's really, they have a lot, arguably more options than any pairing. People really bring up how Grixis focused CDH is. I think that's actually just like not true anymore. I think, if anything, we've seen like an Esper shell kind of take over more than mm-hmm. Grixis. And especially in terms of Grixis commanders, Rockside is the only one that's actually putting up, you know, really consistent numbers. And we'll get to that. And some decks that were featured here last time, like Chrom Tevish, have kind of fallen off a little bit. But we have seen decks like Anala sort of be experimented with and started to come up, but still can. Compared to, I mean, that's like three, and that's those are, I feel like, to different extents, maybe a bit more of a stretch than a lot of these Mardu decks. Mardu just has a lot going for it. I actually think the biggest problem it's going to have in terms of results, specific on like this website, is that a ton of people are picking the decks up, and I think it's actually going to drop its conversion rate quite a bit because these are actually pretty hard decks to pilot. I feel like I have a, a video just recently came out featuring Shiver, who is the one of the big geniuses behind a lot of the innovation that's happened with Mardu. Specifically focused on Tim and Jessica in that video, and he will definitely tell you like the decks work differently than other decks. If you go from you know like oh I played Timna and Blue Fire 
farm and you go to here, it's not really the same. They're, they're very different lists. Again, a lot of people will look at these like Grixis, but you have white instead of blue, but they're really not Turbo Nas decks either for the most part. So there's a, a bit of a learning curve and I think that's their biggest weakness. Card quality and just the different layering of packages. We talked about how Rocco just isn't working with all the different things they do, but a lot of these Mardu decks have these different packages that other decks just have either ignored or just don't take advantage of as well. And they're just layering so well, like being able to do all these artifact synergies with and layering well with like Wishclaw Talisman, now the one ring potentially in some lists, Bolus' Citadel, Defense Grid, all these different things layer very well. They get to go through the graveyard more than a lot of other decks do. Yeah, Mardu is in a really good place. We're seeing it a lot on this list. Jessica Temna just barely missed the top 10 with 15 entries, four top 16 results, 26% conversion rate. So still performing pretty well, but just making it at number 12. But I definitely think if we didn't mention Mardu here, talking about what the meta looks like going into the cookout, you're going to be misled because I kind of expect a million Mardu decks to be entered at that event. Yeah. Also, too, with, with that real, uh, with that little small caveat, I do think Krom Tevish is actually probably pretty underplayed. That deck yeah. performs whenever I think a Sharky plays it. They just perform really, really well with that list, and that list looks super clean. I think it's got a lot of things going for it. And again, if the format was to be like randomly gummed up with the board and the board's gumming up, well, then I think you can pivot to like Krom Armix. Mm. And just have like a really strong shell, shell there. And then, well, I don't want to say that this is the list. I've seen Armix Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like a kind of like a meta buster style list. Mm. And and what the whole point of even mentioning a, like Armix Bruce is it just has so much flexibility, the color pairing. And Mardu like kind of used to always kind of like get pushed around and people like, you know, Mardu's kind of poopy, but it, it, like unless it was like Mad Farm specifically, by and large. But, and not to mention, uh, I forgot about the vampire, the vampire deck. <laughs> oh, yeah, like Raz- Ed- yeah. Edgar Markov, Razka. Yeah. It might still be good, actually, if somebody uh, really put some work into it. But uh, you know what? I would not be shocked. Anything that's protected by a Grand Abolisher deck. Yeah, I mean, you can get probably, there. Probably pretty decent. But the whole point is, is that Mardu is very flexible. And based on your style, you're going to find one of these decks that really fits what you want to do. Dargo, really powerful partner commander. Rograk, really powerful partner commander. Timna, the partner commander. Yeah. There's just so many options. And again, Dehada just making a surge. You got to think about a commander that was pretty relatively not on this list until recently you know zane talked about it put his money where where his mouth was and then now we're seeing it like from just this one i think it's uh number 20 yep so that's pretty good and especially too if you look at decks that have been on here or being played and they're falling down while the hot is rising that yep. means it's performing it's one of those decks that while it's not in the top 10 i would not be shocked to see in the top 16 at the cookout With all that being said, I think we're ready to go into our proper top 10 list here. We actually have a bit of a three-way tie because we're going to be going through sorting these decks by the number of top 16s that they have. Starting at number 10, we actually have three decks tied for top 16 placements. You could kind of argue looking at the stats for each of these, which one should be 10, you know, which one should be eight or nine or whatever we're just going to go through them as they're listed on edh top 16 if you want to follow along with us and so we are starting with the thrasios deck that i alluded to earlier that maybe has displaced uh bruce thrasios and that is dargo thrasios with 23 entries against six top 16s they enjoy a 26 percent conversion rate yeah this is a deck that was just like started going on a tear like you didn't really hear much about it before this year and then it was just like hey Dargo is in the top four Dargo is in the top four again oh it's in the top four again oh it won something and it just keeps showing up 
And it has a really cool combination of you can do Thrasios because Thrasios is there. You have that kind of like Simic backbone for the deck that can just really hang with all the slower Esper list and the other kind of grindier shells. But then you have the ridiculous explosive potential that Dargo offers with just being able to combo out from nowhere. Yeah, actually makes it quite a bit of, you know, a pretty good Underworld Breach deck. You know, if you've never greater good with the Dargo loop mm-hmm. and <laughs> for a Breach, it's... It feels, it's pretty insane. And it gets to run a combination of cards that like you don't really think about like in these type of colors, like again, like greater good, obviously very strong in any kind of like Dargo green X shells, like even like a Dargo Equalist, really nice card. Savala being this big mana producing elf that also can draw cards mm-hmm. off of your Dargo if your Dargo is the biggest creature on the battlefield, but it just utilizes all these pretty unique cards. It has uh, Displacer Kitten combos, of course, it's got Eternal Witness Loot. Loops. It's got Underworld Breach, Tidespout Tyrant, because you can just Neoform, Eldritch Evolution, Birthing Pod, your Dargo into Tidespout Tyrant. And it just makes it like really, really sweet. So again, and it has just enough protection to allow itself to push through with these combos. It's a really sweet deck. Yeah, it's really cool to get to see a deck that can do, you know, Thrasios creature tutoring stuff, you know, your green piles basically of stuff. But then you also are like a Bergy Underworld Breach Storm list. And you get to do like crazy turns of just like going through your whole deck and just setting up whatever you want. Like you really get to do a lot of cool things. There isn't quite a deck that does this. We usually see like a lot of teamer decks historically. They're like blue, green, splashing red. And, you know, looking at some of the cards here, you know, there there is like that heavy blue, green base. But again, like what the red stuff gets to, you know, you don't normally see like Jessica's Will show up in a lot of Thrasios decks. But when you have this much potential, or Wheel of Fortune for that matter, what Dargo enables you to do with all your cards that Thrasios might get you, again, like Eric said, it layers really well with these other combo or just powerful things you can enable, being able to like, oh, well, you know, maybe I Neoform my one drop into Dockside or I Neoform my commander into Tidespout Tyrant. Those are two plays that are radically different using the same card. And they layer, again, like we talked about having layered play styles, it layers incredibly well with all the things you want to do. You know, we just talked about how like Neoform, Eldritch Evolution, all these cards with your commander can go get you Tidespell Tyrant, which is really awesome, right? Like imagine being able to pay two mana to go get Tidespell Tyrant versus uh, four mana to go get a Tidespell Tyrant out of the other teamer deck. Oh, yeah. Except for this one. <laughs> This one gets to run creatures. (laughs) Yeah, this one actually gets to run Dockside Extortionist. So, you know, I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to quit beating up on Team Repolyrog. They're going to come after me pretty hardcore. And I'm going to lose to it in the tournament. And I'm going to be like, well, I'm playing Jun. What do you expect? I don't play, like, counter spells. So you got me. No, I'll stop beating up. I just think that this deck is quite solid. It's performing. Freedom Waffle has a lot to do with that. Mm. Uh, There's another pirate. or the (laughs) Yes, there's another pirate. And another pilot who also plays the list. Yeah, I just think it's a really solid list. It's also a blast to play. Like, it legitimately is a fun deck. Mm. So, you know, it just shows you that, like, not everything has to be, like, because this does have, like, some form of spell slinging. But this does a really healthy balance mix of everything. Yeah, you get to do a lot of the the CDH things from usually piles that don't mix right like like we mentioned earlier a lot of dawn waker lists they don't do the breach stuff they're not trying to go super explosive you do a lot of a lot of the best of both worlds here also six top 16s going to number nine uh we have sisse weatherlight captain which 
where it has 25 entries leading to a 24% conversion rate. One of the five color decks on this list. I think last quarter we only had one and here we actually have three on this top 10 and we've really seen Sisse again recently. I want to say last time it hovered around like the top 15, top 20 on the last quarterly update somewhere around there and we just keep seeing like every time I look at a tournament now I keep seeing like oh Sisse made it to the top four Sisse made it to top four again one of those decks that just it feels omnipresent in a top 16 you look there's one of these pilots who happen to get there and it's a deck that's really got a lot of upgrades recently too yeah so I think with the continuation of printing of cards especially with every Magic the Gathering set being a secret commander set yeah because there's like all legends in it this deck to me only gets better mm. like it's it's a deck where i don't think we've seen like it's the floor is now the ceiling is just going to keep continuing because i feel like with every set they print another card for this particular deck it just happens that way because legends are you know they're going to be powerful they're going to make a powerful legend it's five colors so it gets all um, of them it gets all of them. It gets some really sweet upgrades in the new set. You know, very simple things. But I'm a big fan of the deck. It's not necessarily something like my play style, but I, while it's lower on in the top 10 in terms of like the five color decks, I, I personally think it's the best five color deck on here, uh, which would probably shock a lot of people because like I know Ninjilo is pretty up there, which I still think Ninjilo is very good deck. Mm. I just think that Sisse has more play to it and has more pivot lines. And I just think that when a deck can do that, legitimately have more pivot lines. And I'm not talking about like, hey, I can't go for the Ninjilo plan. I'll ad nauseum. Yeah, that's, you know, that's whatever. I'm talking about like, this deck has an actual packages that it can go through in different situations. I think that that is something that gives the deck a lot of strength. I also think that makes it a little bit more complicated. Yeah. But at the same time, it's really easy to cast. It's three mana. Got that Najila thing of just being brain dead easy to cast turn one. <laughs> it seems like they always yeah. have it. Yeah. Cuts on, again, Great Jewel Lotus Commander gets cut on by and, and if you really think about it it, it plays like Najila has the looming threat of attacking while this deck has the looming threat of comboing you know and yeah. that's the thing that just makes it kind of scary and it also gets to run a lot of unique cards which a lot of people don't know like a lot of people aren't like expecting that they don't know that oh that you can combo me with uh mount doom in this deck like mm. what are they, they might be ready that? for like oh you're flashing in drana and linvala are you putting it in an instant speed, tutoring it up, yeah. trade to play? Yeah, again, great card for the for a list like this. I really like the deck. It's very powerful. There's way more competent pilots and players who did videos on this. I'll let them do the deep dive on that one. I'll just try to learn as much as I can, because if you do go to the cookout, expect to play against this deck. It is a powerful deck. It's very good. Again, there's new packages that are being discovered all the time, so just be on the lookout for it. It's one of those decks I would never... Any deck that I sit down at the CDH table, I never take lightly, ever. I'm a big fan of the deck. I would suggest if you like that type of stuff, I'd pick it up. Yeah, I think it's definitely... If you enjoy the kind of like toolbox play style of just like always having like some out to something that if you're just you know really knowledgeable on your list... You probably have something that you could have done there. If you enjoy that kind of like learning process and just like what I think kind of looks like the strength of like Rocco, but hasn't been because like the cool thing with Sisse is just like just because you tutor doesn't mean it's going to be hard to do it again. Like you can tutor and then you untap, you get to do it again. Like Rocco, you're going to have to jump through a hoop. So like looking at Rocco as like a real toolbox deck that can kind of keep doing the tutoring thing doesn't really line up as well as it does here where you can go crazy and like, oh, I have two tutors available. Let me get Tyvar, put this into play, go infinite with a meal 
meal. Like there's so many different options. Opponent starts comboing off, hit them with a Lavinia. You can't LED anymore. So many different things you can do. It's really cool list. And lastly, maybe most infamously at this point, 27 entries, six top 16s for a 22% conversion rate. This is I am Luminous Enigma who just won its second Mox Masters in a row. This isn't just like a top four machine. This is a double top four machine. We keep seeing multiple times pods of like two times in the top four. Multiple times? Yes, multiple times, multiple times. Yeah, this deck has just, like Eric mentioned, it's been around since Ikoria. Like, this is not a new commander. And it has just, with some dedicated pilots, new cards obviously help. Got some things somewhat recently that, that have really helped. But this deck is just really like went from something you might not have ever heard of late last year to like you can expect to run into this at a tournament you you probably should expect to run into it there's a lot of like psychological things i think are going on with tyam that maybe people don't really notice is that for a little bit green didn't really have anywhere to go we had kennan and then you know and i'm not talking about like decks playing birds of paradise ignoble hierarch and their Najila decks oh look i'm a dork deck no yeah like green really didn't have anywhere to go if you weren't on like really Don Waker. And then even the green decks like Malcolm Tana weren't really fully green decks. Like they're not like abusing things like Cradle. Mm-hmm. And Tyam just is that type of deck. It just gave a place for like all these like green creatures and stuff to go. And then some of the unique stuff that it wins with. One thing about the Tyam list is that it's in a response to the format still reacting to Ad Nauseam. Mm. Like the format is still like you're starting to see the shift but the format is still like this still trying to interact here on the stack versus the battlefield or the graveyard specifically even though there's graveyard hate that's the thing it's just like everyone's really just still like edging to stop the ad nauseum it's like a thing now it's like everyone's so worried about it and time just kind of came in and said cool you are worried about stopping ad nauseum let me slam this sloth beast and you know literally slog my way into these games and that's just kind of what it does and again it's one of those decks i think only gets better with time in terms of the actual quality of the cards they'll print some innocuous one drop that makes a counter and does something dumb like remove a counter deal up do a ping or remove a counter off of this whenever a counter is removed off this make a treasure and it'll just continuously have like some stupid looper you know and that's just kind of like where we're at and again, you know, Abzan is not typically a color combination that you're like really like thinking about like with Tyam. You might, you know, think of something like a Hulk deck or a stacks list, but Tyam does a great job. And again, it's probably the out of this top list, the actual only rule of law deck in here. Yep. Like legitimate rule of law deck. So Yeah, and it talking about like when we talked about how Rocco was like a could be a dedicated combo deck or dedicated fax deck i am absolutely it just gets to do both it doesn't have to cast spells to win even and at instant speed which is huge for a rule of law deck. it doesn't have to care it, it doesn't get access to symmetrical graveyard hate you know you can't run rest in peace in here kind of turns off your commander but cards like gothy voidwalker that it, it could run if it wanted pretty much all stacks just benefits tie so if it's in a pod with other stacks decks it kind of is like the old winota effect where every stacks piece that hits the table just makes it more likely that tie gets to win barring again like an opponent has a Dolphy Voidwalker, then, then you're in trouble. And we have seen it get better with random new cards that come out. We saw a lot of like oil counter cards that came out in the Phyrexia sets that were useful here. Now we see Orcus Bowmasters, which is just a good card that also happens to get a ton of counters on it very quickly. At a point, it benefited from 
like Brewer's Advantage. But I think now it's just firmly like, no, nah, this is a deck that is good if the table isn't winning before it or able to kind of stop its development. It is going to just get a win at some point and it doesn't have to worry about the stack. Like that's a big thing. When I was playing with it at Mox Masters, and I've been playing against it recently in my locals even, where if you get into a big stack war where everyone's just kind of like scared and they're just like this big face off where no one wants to go first and get beat up, no matter who goes first, then Tyam just gets to go on top of them. Like once that all happens, time just gets to say, okay, I don't care. Now I now I do my thing. And it could just win out of nowhere again because it gets to take advantage. Eric always talks about like green decks that actually do green things. They take advantage of green. Like an amazing crop rotation deck. It like really takes advantage of those things. Being able to just like crop rotation for what is it? Centaur Garden, the green threshold land. And then just like, Oop, I won. Yeah, I had a devoted druid. Oh, it's three five now. I get to go infinite, blah, blah, blah. Like it really takes advantage of a lot of these things and plays to a style, like Eric was saying, that people still aren't respecting as much. And it's another reason Martyr's doing well. And we might see some splash damage where people really should be trying to address Tyam, I guess, statistically. They might, while trying to beat Mardu, end up actually beating Tyam because of being able to answer, like, like if we see more, like, Graph Digger's Cages get splashed down, that might help out against a deck like this, which is, in a lot of ways, not being answered by a lot of common interaction. But just also to see Tyam still perform the way it is in the format, with Tibbet being, like, the premier Graph Digger's Cage deck, just shows the that it's a real contender. It's there. It's a double champion. You know, it's the New York Giants of CDH decks. So if anybody knows that football reference, that's what it feels like right now. Eli Manning, Sloth Manning, same. They're the same. They're the same. <laughs> Tyam and Eli Manning, they're the same. Definitely a deck again. If you don't know how it works, you're definitely going to want to learn before going into any big event. Find a video on it. Talk to somebody with a lot of experience on it. Read the primer. You don't want to be caught not knowing when to interact with this list when it's going off because because if you mistime it, it just wins on top of you. We have two decks tied with seven top 16s. And again, we're just going to go in the order that they have them listed here. That brings us to Rograk and Silas with 25 entries, seven top 16s, and a 28% conversion rate. There really isn't any news on Rogsai. It's kind of since Hunt City 2 been pretty firmly mostly the same list. We see people now arguing, you know, whether they want to go in on Bowmasters, Born Upon the Wind, uh, we've seen get splashed by like Alana to make Necropotence better and also just kind of a way to sandbag your sorcery speed stuff and be able to just do things kind of explosively on somebody else's turn. It's kind of a cool card. But for the most part, this has kind of just been the same deck. It's fallen a little bit, but still performing pretty well. It's one of the only, I'd say, dedicated turbo lists along with the newer variants of Najila that we actually see perform well and still perform pretty consistently. It's got Rograk. Rograk enables a lot of very powerful things in these colors. It basically just does what a lot of these other decks that we're going to be talking about what they do, but it does it faster because it has Rograk. Very dedicated with some pilots that have put a lot of time and effort and thought into the way they approach it. Is this one you think will continue going downward or do you think like it maybe just like had a couple events where it didn't do well or do you like think that Rog side players actually should look at maybe experimenting a little bit more? Well, so I think there's a few things that are working here with Rogsai. A, I think it's actually a pretty difficult deck to play in regards to like these turbo decks because as the old adages we've heard, there's no card advantage in the command zone. So you don't just have a big dumb crom drawing you cards, right? Like that's where a lot of these decks is like, look, I don't want to talk about like player skill or anything right now, but I think that there is a very difference of a player who can win with like a Rogsai versus a very similar. Similar style of deck where both your commanders are drawing cards. 
you know, and I get it. That's the function of like you choose the deck you want to play. You get rewarded for the commanders you play, blah, 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 blah. But also, too, it's really easy to sit there when you can draw like a million cards a turn and be like, God, I'm so good at magic, you know, versus like a very skillfully selected, like utilizing something in a very powerful effect. It's like a clever person's deck, I think. It's very, very skill intensive. You have to also understand what your deck is and what it isn't. I don't know about the experimentation. I thought the recent changes that they made to the deck were really, really good for that particular meta. But you just have to look at your deck. Can your deck tackle Krom, Tivit, and some of these bigger, more like uh, Meteor decks? We're about literally about to talk two of them back to back coming up and whether bowmaster is a card in this deck or not i think there's a lot of equity in bowmaster being in the deck because it does allow you to play that flash game with some of the creatures you're already playing to be able to bowmaster untap and wheel like if you're on wheel anyways and wheel is part of your strategy being able to clear the board of all these stacks creatures these asymmetrical bears and stuff i think has a lot of play to it also i think that the additional amass token really allows you to this is actually where i think the power of bowmaster is not only does to remove pieces but the amass token takes the pressure off of rograk yep. it allows you to utilize your spring leaf drums it allows you to utilize your sack effects like your diabolic contents your culling rituals without actually getting rid of your rograk so then now your deflecting swat your deadly rollick your fierce guardianship it's they're just always there mm. so i think that that's actually why bowmaster is quite good in this deck it also allows you to use man on other people's turns versus like tapping out and playing something now we talked about off air about goblin engineer being an inclusion in this deck guaranteed it's probably going to be shut down by a lot of people and traditionally it makes a lot of sense of what your deck's trying to do like if your deck is trying to ultimately get to a defense grid to basically kind of like shut the game down or have multiple protected wins like how many counter spells do you need in your hand if you have a defense grid out probably not yeah. that many you probably you need, need if anything deflecting swat more and it's like just deflecting swat because then you're, you're mo- more worried about besejus and your Ottawaras than anything else there it also gives your Silas more play. And while Silas is, you know, it's not the world beater like we want it to be. Being able to Goblin Engineer a defense grid into your graveyard and then attack with a Silas and to get it back is is actually quite nice. And then that still allows you to have an Engineer activation. So if your defense grid comes down and does get countered, you can just literally put it right back in. You know, so that actually gives you like effectively a double protected defense grid to put it into play. It gives you just more options. And again, I think a card that is very, very low maintenance it gives you more options. The deck is on an ultra high artifact count. And then it just gets you your other pieces. I also think if the deck kind of also went to Grinding Station as another way to win, because one thing I'd like to give like comedian credit on is like there was like for the longest time, like decks only need like one or two ways to win. And then you just rely on the power level of the deck to get you to your A plus B versus like I think decks need to be able to turn the corner and pick their moments and having that ability to kind of hit that eject button and attempt to present your win. You really want to have to be like waiting on finding a, a brain freeze. No, probably not you're already on also to um yagmoth's will so you have access to your graveyard in multiple ways so i don't know I, I i really like goblin engineer i think it also makes your time walk effects much better i really do like mm. Being able to Goblin Engineer, your defense grid, set up a turn, cast that. Now you get to untap with all your mana. You still get to like use Engineer for anything in your graveyard again. What does Engineer do? 
it provides a body to be able to sacrifice to these effects that you need. So whether or not the engineer makes it into the deck, I think that Rogsai doesn't need like this insane overhaul. I think there's been so much work done on the deck, but if you're telling me I, I could play Goblin Engineer or like Born Upon a Win, I'm probably going to play Goblin Engineer because that card has a pedigree behind it and it effectively goes with what the deck's already doing. I think it's more, it's not that like the deck needs to be overhauled. I actually think it's that the deck and its current construction just has more options now than it used to. I think you have yeah. more things you can consider and like not even really packages, but just like having three to five cards that you could argue make the list just leaves up some more room. For, whereas we saw like it was a little bit tighter. I think the deck is just has a little bit more room to maybe make some swaps and see how they perform. And you have to have that ability to challenge the status quo because that's how Rogside changed from what it was to where it's at now. And then now just having some new innovation. And I know there's some really dedicated Rogside pilots out there that are always tinkering around that are doing tons and tons of playing. And I'm going to ultimately trust their judgment, but it's it's kind of had a it's kind of a little bit of a drop off mm-hmm. overall. And again, I think it's not user friendly too. like I, th- I think that is one of the things that people just kind of mistake is like, oh, you just jam turn to ad nauseum and do the thing. Good luck. I, I've, I've heard people <laughs> talk about this on other sh- podcasts and stuff that it's like the turn to ad nauseum deck. And I'm just like the games in which you do turn to ad nauseum and successfully pull it off are so few and far between. I think just because the deck can turn to ad nauseum, that doesn't mean that's what its primary plan is going for. If you especially know anything about this deck, and especially like Bryant talking about it like in depth, the deck likes to really like develop on turn two, then turn three tries to really push the advantage because now you have excess mana or you try to press the advantage in different ways and you cast a final fortune effect and now you get to untap with all this development that you had and now you can absolutely protect your ad nauseum or big powerful like wheel effect or breach combo or something like that so just because the deck has the speed like if all decks are like moving at a similar pace when it does attempt to go for a win whether that's on three or four it is so far ahead of all these decks in terms of resources because a it has red with dockside and b its commander reduces your interaction it's not a turn two deck it can turn two every deck that has thoughts oracle combo can turn two yeah like get out of here Okay, and looking at the deck it's tied with that pretty pretty different list, actually, with only 15 entries and 7 top 16s for a 46% conversion rate. So definitely the highest conversion rate of these numbers, but also the lowest number of entries. And that is with Kenrith, the Return King. Who is literally returned. This is another one that I want to say hovered around top 15 last time or so. It usually doesn't have a lot of entries, but it has some like really dedicated pilots who consistently top 16 with it. Um, sometimes putting up like top fours and in a way it's kind of like this is just taking the spot of Don Waker Thrasios in this list where it's still kind of doing a lot of that creature tutoring stuff infinite mana outlet in your command zone also potentially a value engine developing Kinrith's a lot more expensive than developing Thrasios but you can get into board states where he is just a big engine again we see a lot of those kind of same strengths of um, a lot of flexibility one thing that I want to point out with Kinrith versus a lot of these other decks is the builds do not seem to be in any sort of consensus at all we have like wildly different piles that show up here. We have some with like running Bomberman, running Oriok Salvagers, and LED as a combo. Then cards like Mayhem Devil. And then we have some that are like way more creatures. Cards like Drana and Linvala, Vigian Graph Mage, Incubation Druid with like Emil. Very different packages we see with like wildly different creature counts. A lot of versatility and like it kind of does play into the meme of just like 
Kenrith is a whatever you want it to be sort of deck. I mean, that's kind of what we see. It's just like a lot of different kind of five color good stuff, but they are, I'd say, pulled in decently different directions. I think a Kenrith is actually quite easy to cast if you think about it. It's just four and white. Right. So it's really easy to cast. So it's a really good Jewel Lotus commander. It's getting the best of both worlds. So it doesn't run like a bunch of bad dorks. It just runs the best dorks. So really good dorks that it has. So it doesn't have to commit fully on like this. Like you see like decks that are playing like Elvish Mystic and all this other, you know, the the Land of War trio or whatever. So this gets to run really good dorks. And then at that point, you just kind of like build what you want to play based on your play style. Because I mean, it's just an infinite mana outlet. You know, it just has reanimation loops. It just, you know, it's just a really good commander Golos paid for its sins, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I miss Golos. Joking aside, I really miss Golos. Golos I was would be a- really upset about that banning. I thought it was so bad. Man, Golos would be so sweet right now. Though getting your Golos Besaidude feels pretty awful. So. Yeah, that's not great. One of the lists here are choosing literally not to run any dorks. Yeah, I don't know about that tournament because I saw a Protean Hulk Corval deck that Let's top go. 16 so it it, it it rents really questionable cards like i just think it's a really strong archetype based on the ability to navigate towards the game and if the game is like this blue farm mid-range Tivit mid-range, Atraxa grind, Tyam style thing, or even Sisse, then this kind of just falls right into it. And instead of like relying on like an artifact combo like with Tivit, it just has a Dockside one, which is maybe a little bit harder to stop. Even though it's multiple pieces, they're still a little bit harder to stop. The quality of the cards are pretty high. You just get to kind of like just build it ever how you want to. And I think that's the strength of the deck. And it also is a beater. Like it can put a clock on people. So that's something to really think about too and then moving into our top five at number five by itself eight top 16s out of 39 entries 20.5 percent conversion rate and that is atraxa grand unifier we've um talked about this one a bit this is when i think in our last list we talked about or just the previous videos we talked about as like this is a deck to watch out for going forward it's not a meme this is gonna be yeah, good pretty high on that list It's shot up in popularity quite a bit. It's actually, I think, number five in popularity as well. So a lot of people playing it. Yeah, it has just taken over Timnathrasios colors. And these are now Atraxa colors. Yeah, that's funny to say that. And we talked a little bit about, I don't know if we like got to dive into deep about like Timna and Thrasios. I don't know what you want to discuss about that. I think the deck is still a little, a little underexplored. And I know it's kind of weird to say because that was kind of like the deck. Yeah, the deck for the longest time. I don't think you, it's like, it's like almost like, you do you need to be a Thrasios deck using Timna for colors, or do you need to be a Timna deck using Thrasios for colors? But that's another I'll leave that to those experts. But Urchax is just a such a powerful commander in terms of when you cast it it becomes an immediate threat. The game kind of like forms around it in terms of like Krom just is there to draw like, you know, Krom's doing the thing and yes, Krom's annoying and Krom's really powerful but like Atraxa, if you make Krom draw a card, it draws a card. If you blink an Atraxa, you just like pseudo mini ad nauseum. You like Grizzlebrand. It's almost like just effectively having Grizzlebrand in the command zone and I think that's like, I know that's not quite accurate but that is the best representation I can get. It legitimately has a clock on it. It puts you out of reach to other decks attacking you for life it's in really good colors any combination of these colors are very strong it's utilizing the dorks and this is where you're seeing like squee might be like the best food chain like exile enabler but in reality it doesn't really matter if you get black to back it up and i think playing food chain the black tutors are very important 
especially the forbidden tutors, but specifically, obviously, you get access to diabolic, vampiric, those type of things. So just makes your food chain so much more consistent on top of your enlightened tutor. I'm a big Atraxa fan. I think this deck is super sweet. Every time I've played it, I don't know. I just feel like I was doing like almost like Timmy things mm. and these big, powerful plays. And CDH is in a unique space because if I told you a seven mana commander was like very viable, you'd be like, what? No way. And yet we're doing it. We're seeing it. We're seeing six and seven mana commanders like be very viable. Obviously, Dargo, a little bit different. Yeah. But seeing like Atraxa and Tibbet, those type of things, Jewel Lotus really changed the format in a lot of ways. Because, you know, Jewel Lotus really gets a lot of credit for making like Malcolm and Najila like really good. But, you know, when you get to play your like big commanders like on turn three, you just really see like it's like a uh, nice Malcolm. Nice, n- nice two two that, you know, unless you have Glenhorn Buccaneer or if you're an Esper, sweet, it, it's pretty decent. But I'm going to put my Atraxa that's going to completely outscale anything you're doing. Attracts a good deck. Big fan of it. It's interesting, too, because, like, it's such a similar deck to Tivit. It works a little bit differently. It combos a little differently. But they're both, like, big Esper-centric decks that because they have like this big commander that and they they play in the early game like a little bit more of a controlly play style because a lot of what they're doing is a little bit tougher to assemble or more man intensive they get to like run things like displacer kitten which really helped like their commanders go crazy and so they get access to like the displacer kitten to fairy combo line fairy is just a good card that a lot of decks opt not to run just play it like a defense grid you don't have to pass with the fairy up you can just win with the fairy up you know attracts is especially really wild because getting to do like running some of the clone effects like phyrexian metamorph which i think just got improved with the printing of the one ring also getting to go like Attracts, uh, you hit a little bit of mana, hit a land here. Oh, I get to Phantasmal Image it, do it again. Oh, there's a Phyrexian Metamorph. That's pretty easy to cast. Oh, there's an Ephemerate. Like, it can just go so crazy, even if you don't combo, which I think has been one of the biggest weaknesses of older Food Chain Commanders is that they don't do anything when you play them. You really don't want, like, the first sliver. You don't really want to be casting the first sliver. It doesn't go crazy. Like, you can cast Attraxa, no combos, hand empty, it's good. You know, that hasn't been the same with, like, Ukima Kazur and, like I mentioned, and other food chain commanders in the past big fan of the stack it, it just does it just does quite a bit of stuff and again it has tools to basically fight against like virtually every deck out there because look at the colors that it's in so being in sans red it just gets that like probably a good thing this 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 commander wasn't five colors because oh my gosh i mean i will say mm, if, this, this, if this it had access to dockside that and breach one more note about this particular commander and i think it's just a note in some of these like esper plus strategies what are we all seeing we're seeing displacer kitten with teferi even some of the tnk lists they're on that because it is such a powerful like setup especially if you you know get a zero mana rock but it's utilizing and they're utilizing different ways one can blink a dockside it i mean think about it let's let's take a look displacer kitten is in uh the dargo Dargo Thrasios, Displacer Kitten. I wouldn't be shocked if it was in one of the Kenrith list. It's in Atraxa. It's in Tibbet. And it's in some of the Krom list. So Displacer Kitten, pretty powerful card doing a lot of work. I think it makes sense more in some, you know, like if your commander is really good to flicker, like we've seen it in Tavish Krom, where if you get to keep flickering Tavish, that's pretty good. 
consider if you have any targets whether displacer kitten and teferi are worth throwing into your deck because I, th I think teferi alone as a third or fourth whatever fifth silence effect in your deck is worth considering uh, especially one that gets to bounce then if your deck falls to like dranith or something being able to go teferi bounce dranith win through breach pretty powerful you don't really need anything else for that to be worth it moving up still in the blue green sort of pie here uh we have kinnon with 40 entries nine top 16s 22 percent not a ton of new developments for Kinnon. We've seen people kind of change the list with a couple new cards. This deck has been, it's done really well, not just with one pilot, but we have seen Ping just like go absolutely crazy and always top 16 with the deck for the most part. The only real developments we've seen is a lot more of Perplexing Chimera showing up pretty regularly in the deck now. And then um, the sort of new-ish Astral Dragon is showing up with i think more regularity as just like a wild value thing you can do just come in and make two ristic studies turns out to be pretty good but for the most part this is kind of the same deck that we've seen for you know a couple years now so energy refractor we got is a new option to convert your assault monolith mana into colored mana other than that it's pretty much the same thing i think i did see ping swap out sylvan library for the one ring so we might see that as more of a thing but for the most part this is kind of the same deck that we've been seeing for a while yeah this deck is obviously on seaborn muse right yeah. so makes a lot of sense with the one ring like as a commander it's pretty cracked like if you really think about like and i, I really hate using that term because that term i think is totally like used a lot like everything's cracked you know it's 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 current, like modern magic, virtually everything is cracked that's printed. Joking aside, Kennen is very powerful. Like it literally is the best dork deck, in my opinion, like in terms of like what dorks do. So it'd be able to basically turn everything into soul rings or make your soul rings into effectively lotuses. And just having a really ultra clean, like, oops, here's a basalt monolith, I got you kind of thing makes the deck very, very powerful. If you really think about it, like your draws of like a dork, into a cannon and then turn three you're just you're you have so much mana you're off to the races imagine if tyvar was printed blue green opposed to green black oh my god and how insane tyvar would be in this deck yeah absolutely bonkers right like that would just be disgusting because blue blue greens never got good cards printed in uh actual constructed magic sets fortunately ever. yeah never. Yeah, they've been really struggling for a long time. They never killed Standard with a color pair before. No, never. The um, thing about Kennen that I definitely want to touch on real quick is just the ability to run these big creatures that can just shut the game down. I don't think people realize how fast this deck actually is and how fast those creatures can come down. And while it doesn't inherently have card advantage, it effectively does and its ability. So it is like a blue-green Malcolm kind of all wrapped into one. And I think that's really what makes this card really powerful. If you actually look, it shows up in the decks that can actually play it in the 99. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes just the best mana dork in your deck. There's a reason why it's also an outlet for a lot of these other decks to like dig for their big combo creature or the creature that ends the game like a Tide Spout Tyrant. Or it just, you know, generates a ton of mana. I mean, it's in Dargo Thresios. It's in Sisse. Uh, you could put it in a Traxa. Like, Kennen is just a really, really powerful card. And I think the deck's quite good. And again, it's one of those things if with when a skilled pilot shows up with it, you know, again, people just think it just produces a bunch of mana. But Kennen is that commander where I don't I don't fall for Kennen. Mm. If Kennen comes out on the table and I've got like a lightning bolt and there's nothing else pressing on the table, in fact, I might let the Dranith Magistrate live and just kill the Kennen. 
because yeah. it's, it's it's got that blue green I'm the good guy thing to it, and then you know Never all of a sudden it just it just gets out of control. So yeah, don't let the cannon players trick you and tell them that they're not the threat when they have like seven man on turn three. Yeah, and it can especially like seem weird because it's like a Thrasios deck, but it's also like a Rock'sai. Kinnon develops mana so explosively that it. I think the only deck that doesn't have Roger that has that ability to just explode in mana and just cheat way ahead. Like it's it's on par with those decks. You don't run the black rituals, doesn't matter really. But then it also it can use the mana like just by itself. It doesn't need anything else. It has the dual flexibility of like oh I can make infinite mana very easily. With my commander, just boop, put down a win and just turn two win if it wants to with counterspell backup. Or it can go just like, well, you know, I kind of went hellbent doing this. I had to protect my Kennen. Every turn I untap, I at least get to see like new card a turn and I get to activate Kennen. And getting kind of a little bit of the best of both worlds, it is a deck that's a little, you know, it, there's a lot of variance involved in like sometimes you'll flip Kennen and you get nothing or you get an Elvish Mystic. Sometimes you get a Nick Blue Agent. Pretty hard to beat an, an, a Kinnon that has an Exclamation. There is that, but again, it's, it's a really strong deck. It has really consistently powerful commander. I think we've seen lists now, like Ping's list is running almost any card it can to tutor for Monolith or an outlet for Monolith. And then not as many big crazy creatures, so your hand doesn't get as gummed up with them. But the ones you run are just like absolutely backbreaking and just can end the game on their own. Yeah, it's the only level of commander which you can play Coma without your opponents getting super salty, you know? They still get salty about it. Coma's, oh man, it's gross. Our top three. So these are actually really close now. Two and three are tied, and um, we're just going to go in the order that they're listed here. And that is starting with Najila the Blade Blossom down to three. We have 53 entries, 14 top 16s, uh, leading to a 26.4% conversion rate. Trash deck. Don't play it. Yes, five-color Cope Queen herself. I mean, she's fallen a little bit. Rock Thrasios is coming for her. Basically, a lot of the stuff we mentioned on the last update is still kind of the same stuff here, where we're seeing the Gila mostly now fully represented by the sort of no bad cards variants of Najila that are running Underworld Breach. They're really focused on good ad nauseums. They're running extra turn spells like Chance for Glory and Final Fortune. And they are trying to go very quick and be very efficient while also having some amount of staying power, both with Najila herself being a threat on the board and Najila combos. And then the sort of good stuff value engines that are used to the Ristics, Mystics, Esper Sentinels, all that stuff. The only real change that's happened recently was the printing of Samut or Samut. That's showing up in some decks as just another way to kind of draw off of your... It kind of turns your Najila into a Super Timna if you have a decent number of warriors that it's making. It's also a warrior itself, which is just dumb and clearly like they were thinking about Najila when they made this card, I think. There was kind of like discussion, I guess. The, the only other topic with, with this that's new is like, does Najila make it in a Bowmaster's world? Probably. I don't think that card itself is going to hurt. It's relevant to point out that like Bowmasters can really kind of mess with Najila when it's going to do its thing. But I mean, for the most part, I don't see this deck necessarily taking a big dive out of that. It maybe gets a little bit less out of Bowmaster and like I don't think you're running the one ring and the no bad cards variants too much or at least that I've seen recently. But this is kind of the same list that we've been seeing for, you know, the past six months, a year even. I don't know how long we've been seeing these versions of Najila, but variations of like the same sort of deck building philosophy still definitely present. Yeah. 
As long as the deck has like the ability to pivot into different ways to win. We've talked about Najila to literally ad nauseum on this channel about like it just being like a really good solid deck. It's arguably I still think it's it's probably in a vacuum. It's I don't know. It's pretty hard to pick against any one of these three top decks right now as in like the the overall best deck in the format. I don't think there inherently is a best deck in the format. Uh, I think there is decks that are good in the particular situation, but you can turn around and go to a pod where it's like, CDH is weird, you know? <laughs> like, you could go in and one pod, you know, your deck's really good, and the next pod, your deck could be, like, not as good. It's pretty hard for this deck to be bad because of it's just being inherently powerful. It's obviously quite good. The, like I said, the one thing that I think is pretty interesting about this list is where where I was worried about Orcish Bowmaster possibly hurting this deck is I think Grim Hiling's, like, way less good. Mm. Now, I could be... I could be wrong. Bowmaster just reminds me of another opposition agent. Opposition agent is literally bad for every deck. Dranith Magistrate is bad for every deck. By and large, Delphi Voidwalker really hurts a lot of decks. Orcish Bowmaster can hurt a lot of decks. I just think if you have enough self-awareness to realize that maybe you got to up your removal count if you already weren't on a high number of removal and then just play accordingly like playing like in the whole breacher world like whole breacher very powerful card but decks were still playable like decks were still running wheels mm. decks were still drawing cards like yeah nobody stopped playing mystic and Ristic and the whole breacher meta you know so you shouldn't stop playing these very powerful decks in orcish bowmaster i think it'd be different if like bowmaster like shot for two immediately or something like that that's completely different i just think if the deck has to it's too strong yeah, it's definitely here to stay. We have seen so like a recent list that just topped forward. And I guess since our last update, I don't think a lot of the lists were on Soul Partition. And we are seeing that one pop up a lot more. Again, not a card that really changes everything. It is removal that can also be a very expensive Dockside Doubler. There's other things you can do with it. It can be removal that can save your own stuff sometimes. I definitely don't think the deck is going anywhere, though it did go down to number three. And that's because a deck with more entries than it has risen up. And that is Tivit, Seller of Secrets. You probably already know because you probably at home, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you're playing Tivit <laughs> right now. You're sleeving it up right now with 60 entries, 14, again, top 16 is tied with Najila, very 23% conversion rate. There's not a lot to say other than it's in every top 16 it's very consistently in every in top fours you, you'll see one of them i mean yeah this there's probably not much to say about it that you don't already know because i'm like i was saying earlier you've probably seen the deck in action quite a lot it has a very strong esper core like we talked about it gets to run a lot of the best good stuff cards available it gets to take things a little bit slower because it's a, it's a little bit more of a controlly plan and so it's running things like displacer kitten to take advantage of that and its commander to fairy like i mentioned it has a pretty compact mostly guaranteed win con with time sieve where it's basically going to be able to put together something some kind of way like thoracle consult or just straight up beat down plan and just kill everybody with tivit the big old value engine it's the s for good stuff deck of choice we did uh, eric and i kind of talked about the three color decks and how like it kind of seemed like esper was had like a bunch of commanders but it seems like for the most part almost everybody has just said like oh, okay tivit's the best one tivit is now just like kind of sucked up a bunch of the the esper players are on different lists and uh yeah, yeah it's it's uh it's the staple deck right now pretty hard to convince me to play spectral sailor over uh tivit 
So I I just think Tivit's insane. Like I really do. Again, best decks, that type of stuff. It's definitely in the top three. Out of these three decks, I would sleeve up Tivit out of all of them. A, it's commanders, really hard to kill. You know, it's a great Jeweled Lotus commander. It really cuts down and be able to like casting it. They just keep printing good cards in these colors. It keeps getting access. It almost has, it has the card quality so high that it, you know, you don't really like know, you know, you can you can make arguments for different types of cards to put into it. It is also like a Bowmaster proof deck, you know, so like it's not like they can just blow your commander out of the water or your combo plan out of, the, you know, out of the water. Obviously, as you said, with Time Sieve, it also is very good. Obviously, it's also Oracle combo. Lotho actually really helps this deck out more. I don't personally think Lotho is quite good in Najila. Tibbet utilizes the mana that you're making. It also just can sack your treasures to your time sieve it's also a pretty good the one ring deck as well i was gonna say i think this deck benefited from which was really annoying because i was i was looking at the one or the lord of the ring set and i was just like "Ah, tivit's already like the best deck and i think this set improves tivit i think more than any other deck the biggest issue with Lotho is the colors can be awkward for your deck, for some decks, and or they don't have time. Like, if you're, like, really dedicated, super fast deck, maybe you're thinking Lotho, you're just not going to be able to slam. Like, turn one Lotho can be difficult. And if it's not good on turn two or three for your deck, maybe it's a little awkward. Tivit doesn't care. You're going to play it on turn two, whatever. You're going to Tivit on turn three. Your life is just super easy. The One Ring, very good here. You have tons of ways to make colorless mana like most decks do. You got Black Rituals. Transmute Artifact. Yeah, you get, you're get. you already running some Artifact Synergy stuff to be able to look for it if you want. The one thing you might be thinking, oh, it has Burden Counters. It can damage you You know, if you do Time Sif. Not a problem. You can sacrifice it to Time Sif. Doesn't matter. Indestructible doesn't bother you. Get rid of it. If you're going for the loop, not a problem. Again, you're doing this place you kitten already. You get to blink it. If for some reason you don't want to draw cards with it, you can tap it for blue with Urza. Yeah, this is just a wild deck. And again, this deck I don't think is weak to Bowmasters. The commander specifically is almost impossible to kill with Bowmasters. They have to have infinite mana, basically, to be able to kill it with with that. A lot of them aren't on Nas, so you don't care that much about your life total getting beat up. And a lot of times there's going to be like, even if you are, there's probably a better Nas deck at the table that is just more likely to get their life total pressured. You do run some like value creatures you might not want killed. Every deck does. If you're in white, yeah. you're going to have an Esper Sentinel you know, lying around. Sometimes it eats a Bowmaster. That's not a weakness of the deck. That's just there's a new staple in the, in the you know, in the format. Bowmaster is just going to kill your stuff sometimes, no matter what you're playing. Yeah, I definitely think there's an argument that Tivit was the best deck. And I think it only got better with the, these new cards. There still is some lack of consensus on some card choices. Like I mentioned, not every version is on Nas. I think the list can probably do it. You're just kind of like Blue Farm. You're playing it as like an in-step Nas list. If you have, you know, you, you don't want to cast your Tivit. It's not safe. You could just hold up a bunch of mana, cast a Nas in-step. If it gets countered, okay, whatever. Tivit on my turn. That's a pretty good backup plan. Just a super powerful deck. It gets to run all the broken white cards. Gets to run all the broken blue cards. There's not a lot, of, a lot to say about it. This is just... It's very likely after the cookout, this is the deck that is number one in our next update. It, it'll be pretty interesting. It did get a pretty sweet like upgrades from Lord of the Rings. I think Marty probably honestly got like overall the Tim Jessica decks. They got such a great upgrade system just because they've got like Marty got the One Ring. It got Lotho. It got Bowmaster. It also got Mount Doom. So it got like four cards. Like, that's pretty good. And what and the One Ring isn't like in every deck. Uh, I definitely think they're testing it out. It's definitely in stuff like Dihada, you know, and that kind of thing. But like being able to get like two Wargord. <laughs> Imagine like a set coming out and giving you like two hyper playable like Wargord or Dragon cards. Yeah. Like that's kind of odd, right? That's kind of like something you don't ever really think it hasn't about. hasn't happened much. 
doesn't happen much. Wargorger Dragon's sweet. As I'm a big, I, I love Wargorger Dragon. It's a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool setup. Yeah, Tibbet quite good. I mean, the only thing that I think that's going to keep Tibbet from entering that top spot, which I wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't, is our number one deck, and it is Dockside Extortionist. The commander <laughs> itself. Uh, no, that is going to be good old TNK, Blue Farm, Temna and Krom, or Krom and Temna, ever how you want to slice that up. And it has a lot of the same strengths as Tibbet, but its strength is very much Dockside Extortionist and Underworld Breach. And it does get a lot, it does get like deflecting SWAT, which is a really powerful card. Obviously, the the red the different types of like red blast you want to play. I don't know, Matt. What do you think? What do you think about blue farm? Is it um, so are, are people playing like the the human farm list or are they gonna be playing some sweet new cards? Blue farm just barely edging out the other two decks here with 15 top 16, 71 entries, 21% conversion rate. So a little bit lower conversion rate than some of the other decks here. Still the most popular deck by 11 entries. Uh, Tibbet's getting there, but Blue Farm still very popular. It's interesting because, yeah, there is some still experimenting with Blue Farm. There are people who are trying like cards from the sort of Brian Koval human swarm, whatever, four color humans list. Yeah, at Fishbowl, we saw a list running some of those cards like Lavinia, Sarah Ascendant, uh, which some lists have been off and on for a while, opting not to run Facebreaker, Grim Hireling, that kind of stuff, and instead running cards like Fairy Mastermind, in the creature slots bowmasters which is just if you're playing a you know four color good stuff list throw in the bowmaster mine as well lotho here again you running a timna deck so like creatures here are just more valuable so like i think you always have to consider like yeah lotho it's big wing dies the bowmaster you actually do care about these colors you're trying to cast timna lotho lines up very well with that in this list versus you know a green dork list these are just the decks where you just run all the Whenever an opponent, whenever a player, you, you run the card. You just run the card in these decks more often than not. And so you get access to a little bit more of that. And then, yeah, the big things you get, you get Dockside, huge for the list. Uh, Underworld Breach, Fire Covenant, which has been kind of cemented as like a staple here. Either that or Toxic Daylight. I personally really like Fire Covenant. Now you get access to the One Ring, which I, I think slots in pretty well here. I don't know if all the lists will be on it, but it is like, I mean, you're a Mana Vault, Grim Monolith, Mana Crypt, Ancient Tomb deck. You're already playing like a five mana draw engine in Krom, right? This one will draw you cards much faster, I feel like, than Krom. I don't know. What was the question? Is this good? Is Blue Farm good? Yes, Blue Farm is good. <laughs> what variants we'll see? I mean, I know Brian Koval will probably be playing his thing. We have seen him like change card, like up to like five 10 slots though so like i wouldn't be surprised if he was just like yeah i cut the cavern package and now i'm doing this um if he thinks it's good like he doesn't seem to be very committed to any cards they're not performing yeah i think the biggest thing of like this deck has over like tivit is it has more advantage that comes down earlier than tivit does and it has way more potential to like explosively win like i don't consider tivit time sieve a very fast win condition that's a lot of mana a lot of pips Oracle console obviously is there and is here, but here you also have breach, which I think of as it's borderline a one card win condition. Kind of think of this as a better breach deck than Najila, just because you see so many more cards in Blue Farm. Uh, the more cards you get through, the more you like churn through. If you're casting, even if it doesn't resolve, all that stuff that you got to see throughout the game just fuels your breach later. And again, breach is basically a one card win con with every any tutor. And you play a lot of tutors. Yeah, I definitely think some variant of Blue Farm will be there. Wouldn't be surprised if it won, if it top forward. Could still be the best deck, I think. Tibbet's mana is like 
probably way better, honestly, yep. being three colors. And it does get utility out of its lands, especially like Ursa Saga, like being able to like tutor up your Graph Digger's Cage. They're on, I know some versions of Tibbet are on um, Countertop. Yeah. So again, being able to tutor up your Sensei's Divining Top and just especially those like long games. A lot of people think that like D-Top's kind of poopy in like CDH, but being able to like, you know, kind of look at to top three and rearrange based on the game state, I think it's actually a pretty solid effect. Like if you could start every game with a free D-Top, you probably would, you know, yeah. right? Especially you if know, you're if you- reactive and you're holding up mana anyways, and then just instep step, make my top draw better. Really, especially if you run counterbalance to be able to just be like the upside of the, the I think the floor is very low and the ceiling can actually be pretty high. I just, you know, it's going to be quite interesting to see, like, even though I'm going to be competing in the event, I'm going to be honestly like more like a spectator in terms of kind of setting back and seeing like what people bring and how people react. And there's to me, there's levels to gaming. It was like this when I was like pretty big into like every card game I've ever played. You would see like a states deck be like one level and then you'd go to like an SCG event might be a certain level. But when you get into like championships or even to me i thought ptqs were actually like higher level once you especially get into like towards the final rounds or top eight you start seeing like really really solid decks and i don't know i just feel like there's levels this one's going to be a pretty big like turnout i want to get back to these kind of events being in the gathering more so than anything it's actually where like the cookout i think i'm going to have the most fun with the cookout is like actually meeting some of these people and getting past like the internet yeah one issue with the cookout is the playmat is they put Corval as a food chain commander. I know, I saw that. It is so I, ridiculous. I'm really excited for these events. I think it's going to be a blast. There's a lot of cool stuff. I wouldn't really be surprised with any of these top 10 decks just taking down the tournament. One thing that we don't have time for in terms of the numbers, but any kind of viewer or listener, I would look at the difference between online play and in-person play. Mm-hmm. And see if those decks actually, like, if the numbers correlate. I think there's a big difference. Because I think we see a lot of, like, different decks that are online versus then the inherent decks, like, that we're seeing in person. Like, I think, like, Tim Necrom, those type of things we see a lot. We'll probably see, like, Najila. But I don't know if it's as heavily representative. I don't know because I haven't really looked into the numbers. I just think that's a really interesting thought experiment and worth diving into. Any deck that makes a confusing board state is just better online because things are already confusing. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like a deck like Tyam or any stacks of your deck was just like a little bit better online just because like you just have that layer between you and the game a little bit deeper playing into the graveyard again like when you can't just reach over and, and look at your opponent's graveyard just that extra little layer you know maybe adding a percentage point here or there but if you're going to the cookout let us know we're both going to be there this is going to be the first big event that I get to go to super excited for that let me know down below if you're going to be there, what decks that you're going to be playing or what deck you expect to do well. Brian Koval, will he three-peat it? Will we see a Rog Sylwin with Bryant Cook being there and Alana? Really high-quality players that are going to be there. So anybody, I think, could take the event down. Let me know who, you, who you're rooting for, what you expect to see. Thank you so much for watching. Until next time.